Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. He whose word cannot be broken, formed thee for his own abode. On the rock of ages founded, what can shake thy sure repose? With salvation's walls surrounded, thou mayest smile at all your foes. So John Newton began his great hymn of the church, which is entirely based on this 87th uh, psalm. And my question is, well, how did he come to write a song about the church <laughs> from Psalm 87, from this Old Testament uh, song that was sung in worship by the Jews? And the answer is, he got the gist of it. By the way, Psalm 87 is notoriously difficult to interpret. Uh, you may have found that in your, just in your daily reading of the Bible. I, I've read time and again Psalm 87, and the first three verses, yeah, and then verses 4, 5, and 6, I said, well, huh? you know, what? How does this fit? Uh, and, and it's taken me years to, you know, kind of work through that. But he got the gist of it. Newton did. And the gist of Psalm 87 is this, that God would enroll the world's peoples as citizens of his beloved city of Zion. This side of the cross, we understand that to be the church of Jesus Christ. And this morning, I, I want to just look at uh, three results of the church's fulfilling of Psalm 87. Uh, we, could, we could talk a lot about the exegesis of Psalm 87 and the technical problems and this and that and the other thing and the language and all of that. This much we get, God would enroll the world's peoples as citizens of his beloved city of Zion. And that wouldn't happen until this side of the cross. And that's why Newton wrote his song. And so we're going to look at some of the results, and there are many more than this, but three of the primary results of the fulfilling by the church of Psalm 87. First is this, the church is now the place of reconciliation. It's the place where God reconciles people to himself. The narrator in the psalm, the narrator uh, first introduces Zion, God's beloved city. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the dwelling place, loves uh, Zion greater than all the dwelling places or, or cultic centers, places of worship of of Jacob. Glorious things of thee are spoken, O city of God. Good beginning. It just lifts you up. And, 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 and because we've been singing uh, Newton's hymn for 200 years, or 300 years, I guess, uh, we, yeah, we, we just move with that, and it's beautiful and glorious. Then there's that space, and there's a reason why there's a line between that part of the psalm and this part of the psalm, because it's a total shift. And it's no longer the narrator speaking, that, but someone else speaks. And, and the only way to understand what is said is to understand that that someone else is God. So God speaks, 
And he says still, even though it's God speaking, he says the most incredible, crazy thing. I mean, it is really more than passing strange what God says. And maybe it's even stranger because it's God saying it. Among those who know, who acknowledge, who confess me, I will mention Rahab and Babylon, behold Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And we understand this much. I mean, looking at it, he's talking about Gentiles. We know that. And we look at those nations, and he's talking about the nations of the world, the immediate neighbors of Israel, but then Cush is the farthest place you could think of in that day from Israel. He's talking about the nations of the world. The world's peoples. But there's something far weirder than that that he says. Far stranger. That is absolutely incredible. He's talking about his and his people's and his city's enemies. Rahab is Egypt, which held his people in bondage for hundreds of years. Babylon would take them into bondage and hold them in bondage. And there's Philistia and Tyre, neighboring nations that were a perpetual thorn in their side and even Cush attacked the holy city. These are the people who will be among those who know the living God. Acknowledge Him. Confess Him as their God. What in the world is going on? It's just God being God, exercising his holy prerogative to save who he will, how he will, when he will, and bring peace between them and him. Before we go any further, be sure you understand this. Well, a couple of things. When we talk about the gospel going to the ends of the earth, where is it going from? We are the ends of the earth. We are the Gentiles. We're the outsiders. We're a long way from Jerusalem. That's where the gospel goes out from. That's where it began. From there, it ultimately got to us. Here's what you can't miss. You dare not miss. You'll never understand the gospel. You'll never understand the church. You'll never understand anything about God. The psalmist is talking about us. He's talking about you, and he's talking about me. We're not only the nations of the world. We're not only the ends of the earth. We were God's enemies. 
We were the ones on the other side. Remember what Paul wrote later, you know, on this side of the cross to the Romans in fifth chapter. Cherry picked phrases. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We, the church, not this place, these people. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's greater than that, though. I mean, that's a wonderful thing to say that when we were sinners, Christ went to the cross and he gave himself up for us. What could be better than that? Here's what could be better than that. While we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. We have now received reconciliation. Or to the Ephesians, which is a book about the letter mainly about the church. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Do you get it? That's us. <laughs> That's our story. It's not the story of somebody over there, out there, or those poor, you know, uh, natives, wherever you It's us. We were brought in by the blood of Christ. We who are his enemies became his children by the blood of Christ. We were reconciled to God. We who were his enemies were reconciled entirely by him. If Rahab, Egypt, was going to come into the city of Zion, they weren't going to do it on their own. It was God's doing. If Babylon was going to come into the city of Zion, it was God's doing. If you were going to come into the city of Zion, it wasn't your doing. It wasn't my doing. It's God's. He reconciled us to himself. So therefore, the church is now the place where people are reconciled to one another, where people are reconciled to people. I'm trying to think of an illustration. I don't know if this is the best one or not, but, but simply because of something I crossed my mind uh, one day this week. I thought a story of those five missionaries in 1955. Uh, there are a couple of us old enough to remember. Uh, big news. Five missionaries were martyred in the jungles of Ecuador. By the very people that had gone there to bring the gospel to. And it was on evening news. It was front page in the paper. Isn't that amazing? Five missionaries killed and it made the front page. It, then it made the paper. <laughs> and it was on the news for a week or so. Well, Jim Elliott and Nate Saint were two of those who were martyred. Elliott, I think, was 27. And then Saint was the old guy. He was 32. After everything was over, Nate Saint's sister 
genetics without returning to bring the gospel to the Aukas, who had speared their brother and their husband to death. And they did. They were successful. There were conversions and conversions, and, and the Aukas, by and large, became Christians. They say that the son he would go back from time to time and visit his aunt and, and he became a Christian he was baptized by one of the men that put a spear in his father see how reconciliation works how the church works The church is a place founded on forgiveness and reconciliation. God loved us and he sent his son to die in order not just to deliver us from our sins and make everything alright, but to make us who were his enemies, his children, to reconcile us to himself. Therefore, this place must be a place of reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation must be the norm in the church of Jesus Christ. So Jesus stresses its importance in the Sermon on the Mount. Here we're in chapter 5. If you're offering your gift at the altar there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother. Reconciliation trumps even the worship of God. That said, it needs to be said it ain't easy. Is it? Which leads us then to the second effect or result of the church's fulfilling of Psalm 87. So the church is now the place of transformation. It's a place where people have been transformed from citizens of the world to citizens of heaven. Those people foreseen in Psalm 87, the people of, of Rahab, etc., they were citizens of the surrounding and distant nations, but they were transformed into citizens of Zion, God's holy city. They were prophetically represented in the psalm, or they prophetically represented in the psalm you and me and everyone else who can now say with Paul, our citizenship is in heaven. Here's the incredible part. They didn't come in as resident aliens. They didn't come in on a visa. They were born into Zion. 
Three times. That's said, isn't it? They were born there. They were born in her. They were born there. What? It's a metaphorical birth in Zion. And from this side of things, we look from this side of the cross back, and we see in those phrases, they were born, they were born, they were born. The doctrine of regeneration, that's what we call it. What the new birth by the Spirit of God. And we, you know, on this side of the cross, we read that and we hear Jesus' words. Truly, truly, I say to you, to Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's a place, too, where, where people are being transformed. They've been transformed, now they're being transformed from worldly to godly. This, too, by the Holy Spirit. We call it the doctrine of, re- of sanctification. Sort of catechism's uh, answer to the question, what is sanctification? Is this? It's the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God, are enabled more and more to die unto sin, to live unto righteousness. The agent of that work of grace in our lives is the Holy Spirit working through God's Word, making it effectual in our lives. We who are the church. That's why Paul can write to the Romans, you know, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the, by the renewing of your mind, which is, which is the Word of God being put into our head as we read it by the Spirit and put into our hearts and shaping our wills as we become more and more, if you will, set apart for God. The other word for that is holy. Third, the church then is now the place of life. Singers and dancers, verse 7, singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. What do they mean? That's strange language too. Well, the answer begins, I think, somewhere around the 47th chapter of prophecy of Ezekiel and his weird vision. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple and behold, water was issuing uh, from below the threshold of the temple toward the east and I'm jumping around. Then he led me back to the bank of the river and on the banks on both sides of the river uh, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. And then, he waded in the water and it was ankle deep and then it got up and up and up and finally it was the river flowing. What was Ezekiel talking about? Well, you find a, a partial answer in, in, uh, in John's description of new heaven and earth back at the back of the book. 
Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. But before you get from the 47th chapter of Ezekiel to the last chapter of Revelation, you pass through a lot of other ground. And in there, there's that exchange between Jesus and the woman at the well in John's Gospel, chapter 4. He asked for a drink. Why do you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, give you a drink of water at the well right there? If you knew who I was, you were talking to, you'd take what I have to offer. So I, I'd give you the drink of the water of life. Then he said, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What was he talking about? Well, then you go to chapter 7 of John's Gospel. He's at one of the feasts uh, uh, in Jerusalem, and on the last day of the feast, he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about spirit. Ezekiel, John, Jesus, and I say the psalmist, were all talking about God's life-giving presence in the church by his spirit. John writing in the Revelation, uh, about what we call the church victorious, the church in its future glory after Jesus returns. Jesus was talking about the church militant, that is, us, the church on earth now, today. This is where the word of life goes forth from. This is where the water of life flows from. Let us build it from us, you and me. And the Spirit uses it and brings the grace of Jesus Christ, the saving grace, the saving power to men and women and boys and girls. See the streams of living water springing from eternal life. Well supply thy sons and daughters and all fear of want removed. Who can faint while such a river ever flows their thirstless waves? Grace which like the Lord the giver never fails from age to age. Wrote Newton. And then he closes his hymn. You remember? Savior, if I of Zion's city, I, though grace, through grace, a member am, let the world deride or pity, I will glory in thy name. Fading is the worldling's pleasure, all his boasted pomp and show. Solid joys and lasting treasure, none but Zion's children now. Accept. There is this caveat that absolutely must be made. 
You can be delivered in good standing of South Baptist Presbyterian Church. You can be a member of Presbyterian Church in America or any other evangelical denomination organized church on the face of the earth and still not be a child of Zion. So here are some self-diagnostic questions you might want to ask yourself. Have you been reconciled to God? Here's how you tell. Do you have a relationship with Him? How can you talk about being reconciled and not being in relationship? And if there's a relationship, how often y'all talk? What effect is His word having on your life, or is it? And how do you respond? How's your prayer life? How big a part of your life is he? How can you be reconciled and not and not talk? Do you tell others about your relationship? If you tell others about all your other relationships. Well, Barrett and I the other day we went down and we did something. That, you know that. Did you know Barrett had a birthday yesterday? Yeah, I didn't know. Talk, it's just natural. Have you been and are you being transformed? Can you see a difference in your others, in yourself? More importantly, do others? Most importantly, those closest to you? Do you and others see the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Do you and others see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, whatever, uh, gentleness, self-control? Do they see those things in you? Do they experience those things from you? Have you drunk from the river of life? Have you entrusted yourself and your entire eternal future to him? Trusted what he did on the cross as being the fulfillment, the complete payment, the complete atoning sacrifice for every mess up you've ever made, every moral lapse of judgment, every sin, Have you confessed those sins? Have you repented of your unbelief and received him in his salvation? Kids, we spent a week here. What did you hear about? I'm upward bound. You heard about Jesus. And you heard about him dying on a cross. And you heard about him being raised again. And you, talk, and you heard about the necessity of believing in him. Well, have you? I guess this is a place for an invitation. 
Maybe it's a place better a call. Maybe better a command. If I can do it, I command you to believe in Jesus. But I can't, so what I'm going to do is invite you to and I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to shut up and let you pray silently from where you are. And then we'll close the Sunday.